Uh, we have a wonderful treat um, this morning. Um, Mike Betts is with us. Mike, why don't you just come up? Um, uh, Mike is um, a visitor. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mike is, if you like, the father of Relational Mission. Um, so Relational Mission, the group of churches that we are a part of, um, that we um, partner with in gospel, um, in church planting and gospel planting. Um, but um, Mike uh, kind of oversees, heads up that team. Um, and we're very privileged um, and honored to have Mike here. Um, I'm going to pray for Mike. Um, I would just say it's really important when somebody from outside comes, um, it's really important that our hearts are um, switched to re- receiving mode. Um, very often I think we can come with an attitude of, uh, of wanting to sound something out, check something out. But I just ask you, um, Steph and myself um, know Mike well, um, Steph many years, um, and there's a lot of love and trust um, and relationship being built. And so we just ask you just to um, come with an attitude of receiving um, all that God has for you. Um, Come in faith expecting to um, hear from God as Mike speaks and shares. Um, So I'm going to pray for Mike um, and then let you loose. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Mike. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you've placed inside him. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful gift that he is um, to us and to so many other churches. Um, And Lord, I just pray that you would really use him uh, this morning. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, you would give him not just wise words, um, Lord, but powerful words. Lord, that they would be words that come straight from your heart, um, Lord, and um, they would be words that pierce pierce us to the heart, Lord, that you would be speaking through him. Um, And Lord, give us ears to hear what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. I always think with these. Oh, there we are. I always wonder with these things whether you got them all upside down. Have I got it all upside down? No, that's right. Okay, that's uh, good. So yeah, after that seamless introduction with no technological hitches whatsoever, it is great to be with you again. Uh, those of you who've not um, met me before, um, he's given away what my name is. But uh, yeah, so. Um, not that that was a secret, but you just, you know, did it. Um, I live uh, on the East Coast. My wife, Sue, we live, uh, we, about 30 or so years ago, we planted a church in Lowestoft, which is the very furthest easterly point of the UK before you get wet. Um, and that's somewhere between Norwich and Ipswich, so you can just sort of see where it is. Yeah, Norwich, good. That's a nice a football supporter. Well done, that man. There is, there is hope. There is hope. And uh, we've been there um, all of our lives, and we planted a church with a group of others 30 or so years ago. And out of that, kind of very long story short, we now have this family of churches, which we're very, very thrilled to be, um, you know, uh, helping to lead, which is called Relational Mission, which in itself is like a multiplication out of New Frontiers, which um, uh, was a very big global family of churches. We're all still part of this very big global family called New Frontiers, but uh, Terry Virgo, who led that, a few years ago, just said he felt that those who he, he recognized as having an apostolic ministry just wanted to give them space just to have their own sort of family of churches. So the last five years has really been the beginning of that journey for us. So I, I thought the first thing I'd do um, before we get into sort of preaching is just sort of bring you up to date a little bit with where we're at, because I don't obviously get very many chances just to sort of be with you. It's always great when I do, and I've always loved coming here. 
Um, well, it makes me feel older every time. But uh, I do love being here. That's because I am older every time. But um, some of you may have seen this uh, book. Do we, do we have the PowerPoint? Is it uh, great? If that can look at that, oh, yeah. seamless again. Uh, this book, Relational Mission: A Way of Life. Now, as you can imagine, uh, with having a number of churches, we've actually got a, we've got about 40, 40 churches and forty four church plants on the go. Now the difference between a church and a church plant in our definition is a church plant becomes a church when we establish an eldership sort of thing. So that, that's what we're sort of, it's just the criteria we use. So we've got a lot of very, uh, and there's a spread out geography in the UK, mainland Europe, they're the most, that's where we are mainly. We've got some other things sort of emerging in different places, but that's mostly where we are. And you know what it's like in a local church trying to communicate with everybody like you give out a notice one week and half the people weren't there though half of those that were there weren't listening and a quarter of those who were there and were listening don't agree with what you said anyway so you know it's just really hard work isn't it giving communicating and uh, so you can imagine when you've got a whole family of churches so i felt it just was helpful if um after now five years of our journey i thought well i don't want to write something at the beginning of the journey saying what you want to do because that's that hasn't quite got the the same weight as if you then reflect back after five years saying, well, this seems to be what God has been doing amongst us. Now we've got some focus and some clarity on, I think, who we are and beginning to find out where we think God wants us to go. So I put this little book together uh, and there's there's seven chapters in it, which the next slide will bring up, hopefully, one day. Is there another slide? No? It's not there. Okay. It is there. Um, mm. There we go. And um, so, oh, you got that? Now there's a memory test. What was number four? Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, there it is. Uh, now, the, the, the point of that was what I wanted to do was to just really summarize in very quick chapters. These are the things that we really feel as a family of churches. It's not that we're saying this is what we want you to do is like said this is who we are and we want to develop this kind of culture amongst us so a real family that's that's saying it's not just theologically that we are god's family even though we are but it's saying we want it to feel like that we want to create in all the churches wherever you go you can walk into a relational mission church and kind of feel this is not so much an organization of structure there's a family with texture there's something where you kind of create they have to work at that but it's a chapter on that, and that's what we want to try and do. Raising sons and daughters, which means not just about having children, although you seem to be doing quite well at that, um, with increasing measure, but more about spiritual sons and daughters, sort of saying, no, this an, investing in the discipleship and the next generation, constantly be bringing people through who can then run further and faster and longer um, than, than people like me. Uh, everyone a witness, trying to say, right, we want... We don't want evangelism to be a department. We want it to be a lifestyle. So all of us are sharing the gospel in words, works, and wonders. All of us, you know, everyone a witness, trying to work at that. The prayers of many, which is what I want to preach on this morning, because you've just had a month of prayer, haven't you? So I thought, well, I'll just try and sort of help speak into that a little bit. So the prayers of many, those of you all uh, who are familiar with Enough, right? yeah, most of you heard of Enough? Yeah, well, Enough now was really our attempt at just trying to galvanize a culture of prayer corporately so that, so that we all get together in that. I mean, it's been truly remarkable. I, honestly, when we did the first one on a Friday night, I thought, who's going to turn up? I really did. I thought, well, my wife and I will be there. 
um, but I didn't really know. Do you know, over 2,000 people turned up the first one. And ever since we've run them, they've not dropped below that. In fact, the last one we did was the largest. It was 2,500. And Edward Burrier and his churches in Kenya have now joined in partnership with us, and they waded in with a stonking 4,000 on the first night. So there was 6,500 of us all praying on that one night. And I'm now getting lots of other streams, denominations, churches, and other spheres as well within New Frontiers all saying to me, can we join in? Now, some people may develop their own thing and not kind of join enough, which in some ways doesn't really matter because the whole purpose was to stimulate large-scale corporate prayer. So I'd love it if we can still keep pumping away at that. We've got three more this year, and we're, we're, we're working on it all the time. So it's trying to make it a culture, not just an event. So we're all you know, learning how to do that. A church for a broken world, that's not just about serving the poor, although that's a big part of what we do, but it's actually about being an influence in the world generally. The whole world is, is suffering from brokenness, isn't it? Whether it looks rich on the outside or poor on the outside, there's a fundamental brokenness, and we want to be those who influence in the workplace, in schools, in hospitals, in our communities. We, we want to be those who really go in and work for the common good. You know, to fix brokenness with the, with the, with the, the integrity of the kingdom. Starting new families, that's all about church planting. We want to, that to be a culture amongst us. So we're, and you're doing really well as a church. I want to commend you so much. So much has been birthed out of here already at your own cost because it's then left you, you know, um, depleted in some ways in order to bless others. But that's a tremendous culture. And God, you can never outgive God. You know, so if you give away, he will always give you uh, more back, even if there's a temporary kind of, oh, Lord, we really, how do we, what do we do now? And there's a little bit of short-term pain. There will be long-term gain. I absolutely promise you that on the basis of what Scripture promises. So it's not just, you know, hyped words. The Bible promises, doesn't it? Give and you'll be, it'll be given back to you. It's not just money. That's about an attitude and a, and a, and a lifestyle. And then uh, we have a compass but mo- no map. What I mean by that is we don't want to get locked into prescriptive ways of doing things. We want to be a prophetic people. Watch where the river is going and then build around the river. Watch what God is doing and then, and then sort of line up with him. So what I would love to do is to say if you possibly can get hold of one of these and, and read it, that would help me to communicate with you more and more of what we're trying to do. Now, there are five of each. If you, I've got a few here today. If you want to take one, then, uh, well, put the money on there as well. But, you know, uh, take one and do that. That'd be great. You can get them on Amazon or Kindle. And Adam can always get supplies for you as a church. But I'd love, I'm just, everywhere I go this year, I feel a bit kind of strange doing it because I feel like I'm trying to sell something. But I'm just realizing I've got to communicate with all the churches so that we're all kind of on the same page a little bit, you know. And um, that's quite hard when you're all geographically spread out. And then the other thing linked to that, uh, which the elders have said I can do this, they're quite happy for me to, to say that, is we've got these little cards called Grassroots Giving. And what we're trying to do again is get a, a kind of a, a grassroots response to all that, to say, right, how are we going to make that happen? And we've just got a little, uh, you can go to the web page, relationalmission.com, and there's a giving page. And we're really just trying to say to people, look, for £5 a month, almost like a, if, if a thousand of us gave £5 a month, so I've signed up, my wife's signed up, we're just, and it's not affecting church giving, so it's, it's, t- it's not part of regular church giving, because that should always come first. And if you've only got £5 to give, give it here. Don't give it to us. Give it here. But if you've got £5 extra and you think, yeah, I think I could get behind that, 
then £5 a month will help us particularly serve church plants which need people to go visit them, support them, encourage them, strengthen them, and all that costs money, doesn't it? The gospel, preaching the gospel is expensive. It is. It is expensive. But isn't it the most important treasure? And it's worth investing in that. So we, we thought, well, yeah, £5 a month. There's about 5,000 people in relational mission, we think. So if we just got 1,000 of them to do that, that would be a game-changer. And most of us wouldn't even miss that. It's the price of a cup of coffee or a, you know, in a newspaper or something, isn't it? Or a magazine subscription. So if you want to get all these little cards, you can do that. Or you can just go on your phone to relationalmission.com slash giving or something. And you can even do it, um, well, not while I'm speaking, but you know what I mean. Uh, that's the thing about church these days. You never know if people are looking at the Bible on their phone or whether they're just looking at Facebook because they're bored, right? I'm going to check, okay? So look out. So... Let's, um, let's get into some scripture now. So what I wanted to do is to speak a little bit about corporate prayer this morning. So if you want to look at 2 Corinthians 1.11, it'll come up on the, on the screen there. And uh, this is where Paul, just to put it in its context, Paul is in the middle of his missionary adventures. And he's had a bit of a tough time, you know, as he writes 2 Corinthians. He said, this is really hard. You know, he's sort of a lot of persecution, opposition, internal distress, external challenges. He's, he's having quite a tough time advancing the gospel in what he knows God has called him to do. And he says that he writes to the Corinthians, he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So, Father, I pray you just help us this morning, just as we look at this verse, help me in the time I have just to communicate something that will really encourage people, Lord, that prayer is not like a big, heavy burden, but, Lord, it it can be something that we just partner with you in, and it can make a massive difference. So I pray that something of the, the... the game-changing nature of corporate prayer will be left as a deposit this morning, Lord. So it won't feel like a duty, but it'll feel like an incredible investment. I just pray you'd help us with that, Lord. Help me this morning just to know what to say, what to leave out, what to focus on. I pray, Lord, in in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a kind of a... First thing I want to talk about is is the urgency of the prayers of many. And they're, 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 I think there might be um, a slide for that if there is, or there should be three lines coming up there. And then the first one should say the urgency of the prayers of many. And you sort of, when you read that verse, it's quite an urgent thing, isn't it, that Paul said, he said, you must help us. You must help us by prayer. He's almost, it's, Paul doesn't often sound desperate, he often sounds quite confident. He's confident when he writes about the gospel. He's confident when he writes about who God is and what God has done. He's, there's a note of authority and confidence and certainty within Paul when he writes doctrinally. But when he's writing sort of experientially out of, goodness, I'm finding life you know, really quite a challenge. But it says, as he writes to the Corinthians, he says, we even despaired of life. You know, he's even thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And so there's a kind of a sense of urgency behind it. He said, you must, you must help us with prayer. It's something more than, more than just a sort of a, a department or a speciality or just for people who are keen. Saying so you must help us with prayer. And the other thing he says 
is so that many will give, answer, uh, will give thanks in, in uh, response to the prayers of many. Now, there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk over many years about church growth and having a big church and how big is your church, how fast is your church growing. And I kind of get all that because, you know, what is the ideal size of a local church? Bigger. I mean, yeah, fair point. But nowhere in the New Testament do you ever find Paul referencing the size of a local church as being important to his mission. You won't find that anywhere. He never says, well, your church needs to be this size before you can really make an impact. Not at all. This verse is the only reference I can find where Paul seems to indicate that numbers have something to do with effectiveness. And he says, in answer to the prayers of many... There's something about the scale of prayer, numerically, that Paul recognizes is necessary to shifting the dynamics of what he's up against. Otherwise, he'd have said, I've got a few prayer partners and I'm writing to them and their prayers will make a difference. He doesn't say that. He says, there will be answers in response to the prayers of many, the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So he's writing to all of them. He's not just saying to a few who seem to be into that kind of thing. No, he's saying, no, prayers of many, all of you, you must, you, the whole church, the church, you, Corinthians, you must help us by prayer. Now he's saying, you know, I'll put it this way. In the Bible, there are indicatives and imperatives there's an indicative in sense in which we read things in the bible that are true about us that god has done for us things that indicate something as it were so jesus has given us free gift of life as a grace gift we don't have to do anything to earn that and if we never did anything again if you never read your bible again never prayed again never came to church again never did anything for jesus ever again his love for you would not diminish and his grace upon you and his saving work is not sustained by your activity it is a complete unconditional gift that he has given to you that is the scandal of the grace of god but if you've received the real thing and your life is you are born again your natural response now will be to want to serve him but it's not out of a sense of duty or I have to keep doing this to keep getting what God has given me. There's something that's changed within you. But it's an, it's, it's an indicative thing. Something's been done to you. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. God's done it. But then you also find in the scriptures some imperatives, some things what you must do this. So in Ephesians 4, for example, it says you know, if you've had a lifestyle where you've been lying you're a habitual liar or you're a habitual gossip or you habitual thief or that you filthy language comes out your mouth or you you know you 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 know this stuff that you've been doing before you're a christian the the imperative is stop it because it's not who you now are live live in light of who you now are it's not to make you a christian it's saying because you're now a christian don't live like that there's an indicative and an imperative so with this, Paul is kind of really leaning on the imperative. He's, he's leaning on what we should do, what we must do. He's saying, and he's not saying it, you've got to do it so that God will be pleased with you. He's saying, if you do this, 
something will happen that would not happen if you didn't do it. There's, there's some that you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks for the answer granted through the prayers of many. He's appealing, saying, I understand how prayer works so much that if I'm asking you to gain things for me that otherwise won't be given. The stakes are that high. Now, I know we can wrestle with, well, it's the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, and can we really change things by prayer, or has God already decided what he's going to do? Well, both. When God made Adam and Eve and, uh, and, and put them in the garden, he gave them responsibility for human history. He said, you manage the world, subdue it, take dominion. You, you manage on my behalf, under my authority, you manage this planet I've made. Be fruitful, multiply. He, de- he delegated. So it, it was always meant to be God sovereignly creating and purposing and man in submissive willingness, obediently taking responsibility. It was always meant to be a partnership. Prayer is the most beautiful demonstration of partnership with God that you can imagine because it's God's purposes being moved God's arm being moved by our prayers and somehow he set it up that his arm only moves in certain ways when our prayers ask of him it's it's just I don't ask don't ask me to explain it I'm just telling you what it says and we can say well yes I'm not sure whether my prayers make a difference never mind what all that you must help that's it that's as much explanation as you're going to get. Well, how does prayer work? He doesn't tell us. He just says, do it. Because if you do, it'll make a difference. And sometimes prayer becomes, have you noticed, prayer becomes easier when you're in a crisis. No one ever goes on a course to know how to pray when they're really facing, you know. You don't say, oh, well, I've really got a terrible crisis in my life. I wish I knew how to pray. Suddenly it becomes natural, doesn't it? Oh, God, help me. That's a good start, you know. Amen. So prayer, prayer works best in a drama, in a crisis. It's designed to. If you look at the, in the New Testament, 90% of what's written on prayer in the New Testament is written in a corporate setting. And you'll find most of it is written in a drama or a crisis. Something happens and the church gather and pray. What we sometimes lack, I think, is a sense of the drama and the crisis that we are living in. Because we... we we need God in our world, don't we? We need God in our personal lives. We can just, you know, kind of carry on in this bubble of, well, everything's all right. You know, the coffee shop's still open and Facebook's still on. God is great. It's all fine. No, there, there, there is a massive need for God to move in our nation. It's huge. Brokenness is, is everywhere. So we've got to, we've got to engage with this, and it's something we can... We, we can we don't have to be good at it. We just have to be committed to learning. Because prayer... I mean, even the Bible says you don't know how to pray. Well, that's a great encouragement. I mean, you're asking us to pray, and now you're telling us we don't know how to. Well, that's the kind of thing with prayer. I've, I'm not sure I've ever, ever been truly satisfied with my prayer life. Why? Because I always feel I'm trying to connect with someone I love dearly, but it's the difference between a Skype call and meeting them face-to-face. It's what the Bible talks about. We know in a part, we see in part. It's like looking through a glass darkly. 
you know, you, you, you know it, who it is you're relating to, but you don't quite feel your words ever quite sum up what you're trying to say. You don't quite know how to do it. There's been a couple of times when I've prayed and I've thought, oh, that was all right. But, you know, that's in my life. You know? <laughs> Most of the time it's, yeah, well, you know what I mean, Lord. But the thing that encourages me is if you've got young children or if you watch a mum or a dad with their young child and the young child comes up to them and they're just learning to talk and they're, babbling away you don't find many parents saying talk properly for goodness sake i don't understand what you're talking about it's not kind of that that would be slightly dysfunctional wouldn't it It, because you just love oh isn't it lovely you may not really understand what they're trying to say but you kind of catch the heart of it and that's how it is with god he doesn't necessarily it may not make a lot of sense to him but he gets the heart of it and it says the Holy Spirit will help you with groans and words that cannot be uttered. He'll, he'll, add, in the, he'll add in the vocabulary. He, he'll do that. And so I often say to people in, in the enough evenings, look, if you're in a group and someone prays, you, you were plucking up courage to pray, and then someone jolly well goes and prays exactly what you were going to pray, and think, ah, oh, stole my prayer. <laughs> I say, pray it again. Pray it again. Because your father likes to hear... All his children. doesn't matter if it sounds exactly the same or not even as good as what they prayed. Just do it. You must help us by prayer, is what Paul is saying. And if I can encourage you, this is a bit, I just, I said this when last time I was um, teaching on this, and I could see there's a lot of elbows going when I said this, so I take a risk, all right? But men, if you're married, lead your wife in family praying. Hang on a minute. No, men take responsibility. doesn't mean that your wife couldn't do that. It's just for most men, it's so easy to become passive and just like let it drift. And, oh, yeah, well, I don't know if we're going to do that. No, come on. Men, step up. Step up. Lead, lead to your, your, as a couple. Just, I mean, it doesn't have to be sort of, you know, to say, right, my dear, we're spending three hours in deep intercession tonight. I mean, <laughs> that probably isn't going to go down very well. Uh, but just simple things. I mean, for years, Sue and I, just on a Monday, Monday's our day off, but we just so we, we sit down with a cup of coffee in the morning and we'll just read a, a Spurgeon's checkbook of faith thing, just a simple little thing, and then we just pray. We just pray. We just only do it once a week. It's not the only time in the week we pray, but that's the only time we sort of, right, that's once a week we do that because it's manageable. There'll be other times when we you know, do pray at other times, but we thought that's, that's a pretty much immovable thing. It fits in with lifestyle, it's consistent, and I take responsibility for doing it, right? So I just want to encourage you, if you're married, men kind of step up. And it's the same when you've got children. Take responsibility for family prayers, sitting around the dinner table together at some point in the day where you can. When they go to bed, pray with them. Let them hear what prayer sounds like. Model a praying lifestyle. They're not going to catch it unless you show them. It's no good giving them into the Sunday school. Oh, they'll teach them about prayer. No, they won't. It's for us to do that. It's for us to model something, model something in marriage, model something in family life. So, you know, you must help by prayer, and that's that's a... a key thing. Now, the next thing is about the dynamics of the prayers of many. So that's the urgency of it. Then there's the dynamics of it. And I was trying to think what kind of what kind of examples can I give you to try and help, help ex- how understand the dynamics of prayer. So, um, our our cat. Uh, what's funny about that? Our our cat Wilson. 
What's funny about that? It's this, our cat, Wilson, is... Well, it's my wife's cat, actually. Um, my cat's um, dead. But, uh, she, so she's... <laughs> here he is. But she's still got hers alive. And he's called Wilson. Now, the thing about Wilson is this. If you were to walk into our house, he would assess you. He would, he would look through you. He will, he will psychologically profile you for one reason. He wants to know, will you feed me? <laughs> there, and now he knows that he sussed me out and Sue out. He knows Sue will only feed him at the correct time and the correct amount. So he doesn't bother. He knows that. The battle has been lost. I guarantee when I walk in later today, he'll think, aha, soft touch has arrived. And he will persistently, with shameless audacity, continue to pester me, annoy me, make all sorts of horrible cat noises until I relent and feed him. Now, why does he do that? It's because he's become convinced of the nature and character of the person he is appealing to. Jesus tells exactly the same story, not about Wilson, but about the importunate, although who knows if he'd have been around at the time, about the importunate widow who goes to the judge and with shameless audacity persistently hammers on the door until she gets what she wants. Why? Because she knows that her persistence will wear down the individual she's appealing to. And Jesus then turns it on its head and says, well, if someone can get something out of someone who is so against giving it, how much more will our shameless audacity and persistence touch the heart of God who does want to answer our prayers? Therefore, do not give up praying. Persist. What God is looking for out of us, it's not that he's trying to be awkward. He wants us to really believe not only that he wants to answer, but that he can answer. And often he'll withhold the blessing so that something with us becomes so convinced about the fact, well, no, Lord, you've promised he, he wants to drive us to promises that actually draw out of us a belief and a depth and a, and a, a confidence in him so that when we pray, we, we shame, we're shamelessly uh, audacious and we say, Lord, you've said, so you've got a problem. That's not irreverent, that's faith. Jacob said to, uh, to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's pretty audacious. But why was he able to even utter that? He, he thought, well, I know who you are. I know your nature. I know that you, you are a God who blesses. So I need a blessing. I need this blessing. And I'm not letting you go to give it to me because I know you too well to think that you won't do it. You get that? So it's really important that when we pray, we learn persistence, not because God's trying to be 
awkward with us is because he wants to draw out a total confidence in us. Lord, heaven and earth might pass away, but your words won't. And if it's in here, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. Because you've given your word, you've signed the check. Here's the check, I want the money. That's, that's the faith God is looking for. Now, English people, those of you who are English, we find we have a real problem praying biblically because it feels very impolite to sort of demand something from God. Well, God isn't English. Shock, horror. He really isn't. English culture is not the culture of heaven. It's a strange, spurious thing that has arisen on the planet Earth. And God doesn't want us to be terribly polite to him. He wants us to, yeah, it's respect and reverence, but that doesn't mean timidity and, well, what if, excuse me, I hope you don't mind me asking, but is it possible that perhaps you might see your way clear to thinking about it? I hope you don't mind me. God's thinking, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you want? Tell me what you want. You know, I've got people to listen to. Tell me what you want. It's got to be a little bit more... That's the dynamic. And then the other thing about the dynamics of prayer, so it's about persistence very often, which is why with enough, we're, get, we're just getting warmed up. When Jonathan Edwards first started the forerunner of this, and I'll talk about him in a little while just before we finish, he, he said at the beginning, we're going to do this for seven years. Roughly the same thing we're doing. Seven years, we're going to do that. And he said, even if things get worse when we start doing it, we're not going to stop. Because he knew who God was. So the second dynamic is this. Um, in, our, in our house, we've got, uh, in one of the rooms, we've got a little, uh, a little stove, a sort of wood stove thing. And um, on the top of it, I've bought one of these things that's like a, a fan that uh, when the stove heats up, the fan starts to go around and it blows the hot air into the room. It's quite clever, right? But the, the stove has to get to a certain temperature before the, the blades go around. Um, now, if you didn't know that, you could light a fire, perhaps for 15 minutes, look at the fire, look at the fan, nothing's happening. And if you didn't know that it's got to get to a certain temperature, you could, you could take the fan off, say, well, blooming thing doesn't work. Put it back in the box, take it back to the shop, say, I want my money back. I'll put this on top of the fire, nothing happened. A lot of people do that with prayer. Go to a prayer meeting, pray about something fervently, nothing happens, apparently. So they put it back in the box, take it back, say it doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. I tried it once, didn't work. No, 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 thrice no. Got to let the temperature warm up. There's a dynamic to prayer that often means we have to stoke the fires until the temperature rises somehow, and then the fan of answers start to kick in, yeah? So don't give up too soon. It's like... Human gestation period, nine months, right? I've got a, a friend of mine who runs a care farm, and he's got alpacas on the care farm. Strange creatures, alpacas. A little like llamas, but with more of a you know, fuzzy hair at the top. And um, an alpaca... Have a guess the gestation period of an alpaca. Five months, interesting, from... Uh, the medically trained person on the front row. <laughs> Five months. No, it's actually 11 months. And they can hold it for another month if it's too cold. Wouldn't that be handy? <laughs> no, they, 11 months. Now, the point of that is this. 
If we, all, if we think, well, everything is just nine months, that's what humans are, everything's nine months, you could miss, or you could misunderstand that something's coming, because at nine months you look at it, you think, well, nothing happening. It's the same with prayer. We put a gestation period on the answers. And we say, well, I prayed, something should be being brought to birth from heaven now. It may just be that in the purposes of God, the gestation period's a bit longer. Yeah? And we often put it back in the box. We say, well, it doesn't work. We've got to be, we live in a very instant world. And particularly living in London, everything's fast moving. Come on, fix, 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 fix. Even in your work on Monday, you go into work and there's a problem. Fix it by lunchtime. Boom. Yeah? Well, some of you. That's the, that's the climate we live in, is it not? Instant, 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 instant. Prayer is not instant always. Jesus cursed the fig tree and it died instantly. But there, so there are times when you just say a word and boom, it's done. But very often prayer requires persistence, tenacity, discipline, longevity, but there is certainty at the end of it. And one of the things we're trying to do with Enough and all the other prayer things we do is to put into us a culture that says, we will not let you go until you bless us. You getting that? And then the last thing just before um, we finish um, is just looking at the history of church history of the prayers of, of many. If we can put the, the next slide up, I want to just show you a couple of pictures there we go you've got jonathan edwards fine looking chap there and william carey who seems to have lost his wig somewhere along the way um they were both the forerunners really uh in sort of 1700s and 1800s of what we're doing with enough and that was one of the models of prayer that inspired me when i was re- i was reading about it i read that verse about the prayers of many and then i read this little book uh, by jonathan edwards called uh, a call to a united extraordinary prayer and basically what happened was Edwards did his version of enough. He asked all the churches working with him to meet at the same time, the same date in different locations and all pray about the same things. So extraordinary prayer, visible union, explicit agreement, which is what enough is about. And he, he started to do this and they committed to doing it for seven years. Now, sadly, he died um, he died at 53, actually, and he wasn't even ill. He died because he had uh, a smallpox injection. They were testing out smallpox injections, and he offered to be a volunteer to help test the vaccine, and unfortunately got complications and died. So he never saw the fruit of what he'd started, and it sort of faded away a little bit. And then William Carey, who came a little bit after him, he read this book, and he thought, we're going to do the same thing. And Carey actually had even more success with it. It really flourished in Carey's era and 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 they ran again they did two years and then seven years so they tried it for two and then they did for another seven and what we find when you read the history of Jonathan Edwards or William Carey is both of those men probably and the 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 teams of men and women working with them probably in the last say two three hundred years of church history those two people probably had more impact than almost anybody else not so much just through their own personal lives, but what they put into momentum through investing in large-scale corporate prayer. And uh, I would encourage you to read biographies and, and stuff about them because it really just helps you understand what we're doing now is not a new thing. 
we stand on the shoulders of giants who've done this in their day. And there, what they did often gets forgotten because we, we read, rightly, we read the Bible, but we often forget that between the Bible and now, there are centuries of church history, which is why it's good to read church history, actually, to find out what did other people do in their day. And they did a very similar thing. And uh, um, if I can just... Um, let me just see if there's one quote to give you. I realise time is going on, so I pick what I do carefully. Um, here we go. Uh, yeah, he, he said... Uh, Carey, um, sorry, Edwards said, if we should continue some years and nothing remarkable in providence should appear... As, through, as though God heard and answered. We should be very unbecoming as believers if we should therefore begin to be disheartened and grow dull and slack in seeking God for his mercy. Because it's very apparent from the word of God that he is often wont to try the faith and patience of his people when they're crying to him for some great and important mercy by withholding the mercy sought for a season and not only so, but at first to cause an increase of dark appearances. In other words, it could get worse first when you start praying about it. And yet he, without fail, at last, succeeds those who continue instant in prayer with all perseverance and will not let him go unless he blesses. So Edwards was getting hold of his note. We've got to just keep going, keep going, because God will not change. There may be lots of things happening in life that are painful disappointing perplexing i mean the older you get the more perplexity mystery disappointment pain upset you know the more you, as well as the more joy blessing breakthrough fruitfulness you, you have to learn to weep with the weeping and rejoice with the rejoicing life is is complex but one thing that isn't complex is the fact that god has revealed who he is and it doesn't change. So you have to put the mystery on the shelf and say, well, Lord, I don't understand that. But one thing I do know is you are good and you're good all the time. And even though I don't understand why sometimes this was answered, that wasn't answered, why this has happened, why this person didn't get healed and I pray for them, this person did, I don't understand all that. You don't need to understand that. You never will understand that. That's, why, that's one of the lessons of the book of Job. Job refused to get into whose fault is this. He refused it. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. Even if he kills me, I'll love him. Because he, he knew the character of God. He knew whatever, he, whatever else he didn't understand, he was persistent. God is immovable. I'm never going to ever think he's anything other than good. And that's, true. That's, how, that's what prayer must train us into that. And just lastly, just on the scope of prayer, let me just read this sort of poem. Through prayer... There is no problem that cannot be solved. Believe that? Oh, come on. Through prayer, there is no problem that cannot be solved. There is no sickness that cannot be healed and no burden that cannot be lifted. There is no storm that cannot be weathered. There is no devastation that cannot be relieved. There is no sorrow that cannot be erased. There is no poverty cycle that cannot be broken. Through prayer, there is no sinner that cannot be saved. There is no one perishing that cannot be rescued. There is no one who's fallen that cannot be lifted. Through prayer, there is no hurt that cannot be removed. There is no broken relationship that cannot be mended. There is no difference that cannot be resolved. 
Through prayer, there is no hindrance that cannot be shaken. There is no limitation that cannot be overcome. There is no mourning that cannot be comforted. There are no ashes that cannot be turned into beauty. Through prayer, there is no heaviness that cannot be covered with a garment of praise. There is no thirst that cannot be quenched and no hunger that cannot be filled. There is no dry ground that cannot be flooded. There is no desert that cannot blossom through prayer. There is no congregation that cannot be revived. There is no preacher that cannot be anointed. There are no church pews that cannot be filled. There is no leadership team that cannot become one. There is no community that cannot be Christianized. And there is no nation that cannot be transformed. Boom. Hashtag boom. Yeah. Hashtag boom. Now, if that is true, is it true? Then why would we not pray? Because the devil will say everything to us, oh, no, you're too tired. It didn't work last time. He'll tell you everything to stop you. Why? Because he trembles like crazy when the church, not just a few, when the many, the many come together and the prayer meeting becomes the biggest meeting. I mean, now it's not, I'm not putting something on us. I'm trying to lift our sights to something ahead of us. And we take steps and, you know, we learn to pray. And if you could only pray, you know, for five minutes at a time, great. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the most incredible miracle workers, used to say, I never pray for more than 30 minutes at a time, but I never go more than 30 minutes without praying. Which, you know, so little and often, you know, that can be great. Pray on the tube, pray at work, pray, you know, pray at your kitchen sink, pray in your quiet time, pray, yeah, pray, 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 pray. You know, put your earphones in on the tube and talk in tongues and everyone thinks you're singing along. It's great. You know, just do whatever you need to do. Just pepper the place with prayer. Let's stand and I'll just pray for us. And uh, no, actually, Rich, you pray for this church to lead this church into a, a greater demonstration of corporate prayer yeah Lord Jesus we thank you Lord thank you that you have equipped us um, with a weapon so powerful with a weapon so strong Lord thank you Lord that the weapons of our warfare are so powerful for the demolition of strongholds, Lord, for overcoming obstacles, Lord, for um, being able to cling on through um, dark times, through difficult times, through desperate times, Lord, and see you come through, to see fruit come, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we, like Jacob, can cling to you and say we're not going to let go until you bless us. We're not going to let go until you come through. And, Lord, we just say with the vision that you've given us, Lord, with this wider family, Lord, um, for relational mission, Lord, we just say we're not going to let go until you bless us. Lord, we're going to cling on. Lord, we're going to hold fast to you. And Lord, we're not going to give way to disappointment. We're not going to give way to fear. We're not going to be intimidated by the enemy. But Jesus, we're going to cling fast to you. And we're going to believe you that as we pray, Lord, that we receive answers from you. Lord, that as we pray, Lord, you dispense your grace and you give liberally, Lord, to us. Lord, we just walk into that right now. Lord, we just 
walk into that inheritance. Lord, we walk into the richness and the fullness of that. Lord, thank you that you have called us to life in all its fullness. And Lord, we believe, Lord, that as we pray, we touch something of heaven, we touch something of your heart, and we make that a reality on earth. And so, Jesus, we just pray, would you equip us? Would you stir us? Lord, would you fill us with vision, Lord, for what, for this, for this, um, commissioning that you've placed on us to be a people of prayer? Lord, that as we pray, Lord, that there would be many answers that come off the back of it. And Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would you would continue to do a mighty work, continue to lead, continue to direct, continue to speak into those times, to shape those times, and to lead us on as you would. Lord, we want to walk in obedience with you. And Lord, we just we just say we will be obedient. We will be obedient to your voice, to your leading in Jesus' name. Amen.